All right. <clears throat> hey, guys. So as he has said, my name is Alex Sheets. It is an honor to be with you tonight. And this text, as Drew has mentioned, um, I believe that this text, I, I've heard that this is the proof that we are committed to exegetical preaching. This text is the proof. Because if we could, we certainly would have skipped it. This is weird and confusing and uncomfortable, and we are excited to get to talk about it tonight. It is unpopular, and it is confusing. But I'd just like to say this. It is in the discomfort that God speaks to us most clearly. Here's what I mean. You believe, we believe, that there is no perfect culture. That every culture that you can look at gets something right and gets something wrong. And that when God's word is spoken, that he affirms and he condemns something about that culture. That if he, if he speaks to America, if he speaks to Canada, if he speaks to Mexico, all over the place. God is speaking in different ways to every single culture. Um, here's some passages like, like, love your enemy, turn the other cheek. We hear that, and it's like, yeah, that's awesome. That's not, what's wrong with that? Um, Honor-shame cultures in the ancient Near East and in the Middle East would be like, no. Like, hate your enemies. That's what they're for. They're called enemies. They would be offended by that. Or a phrase from Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wife and serve them. Don't treat them like second-class citizens. We're like, yeah, that sounds like, like great, like husbands, you know, like serve your wives. That would actually deeply offend the Greeks that it was written to, that treated them just like that. Tonight, we're going to be speaking on a topic that is kind of controversial. It's going to be on gender roles. And tonight, it's the phrase that I'm, I'm coming up with, or that it's coming from the text, it's divine anthropology. What is God's plan for men and women from the original idea that comes from Genesis? Because if God has a plan for you, then logically, for you to flourish, for you to be living your best life in God's eyes, you would be to live according to that plan. To be fully alive is to live out the glory of your design. To be fully alive is to live out the glory of your design. And it all starts with a very weird question. Is it a sin to wear a hat in church? Talk about that among yourselves for a second. And if you have no context for that, I'll give you another question. Okay? If you have no context, are some things, if you were running a church, are some things inappropriate in church, some behaviors. Talk about that for a second.
All right. All right. Come back to me. Come back to me. I just, I'm totally curious. Just a show of hands. Who thinks it is a sin to wear a hat in church? Just go ahead and raise it. Okay, let me give you another one. Who thinks it's a sin to wear a hat while praying? Raise your hand. Okay, we got a couple. No shame here. No shame. All right. So I'm just going to go ahead and take this off. <laughs> just so I don't offend some of the people here. Okay? Just It's a question that we're wrestling with. Paul appears to think so. If we read the text as a literal, just straightforward read, reading, Paul appears to think so, but his reasonings, one way or another, are fascinating. And we're going to be talking about the night. Just giving you some context before we jump into the text, this idea of whether God hates hats or not. We're coming from the, this idea of love and freedom. You have freedom in Christ, but you're supposed to live in love towards one another. Okay, And now we're moving towards how to be spiritual together. He's writing to the church. He's writing to like how do we be the church together in culture towards one another. And the next sections are all about these traditions that are established. There's going to be communion and there's going to be uh, spiritual gifts coming down the road. And this one is all about prophesying. You see, men and women were prophesying. Okay? It's kind of strange. There's already a little bit of distance between us and the text. Okay? And what we mean by that, like, like Old Testament prophet prophesying. Like the Lord was like speaking through men and women like in real time. Not like in the words on a page. He was like speaking to them then. And the problem was is that they had, there was a culture of honor-shame with rigid gender roles. And they wrote back to him and said, like, how do we do this in public? How do we do this in a way that like, is, is right in the culture that we're living in? And he wrote back saying, in their culture, this culture of honor, shame, you can kind of think like, uh, like Mulan, you know, like the song, like, please bring honor to us all, like honor, shame culture, this kind of thing we're talking about. He wrote back saying, worship God as honorably as possible within that culture. Worship God as honorably as possible within that culture. And his answer was, husbands, don't wear a veil. Wives, wear the veil while you are prophesying the words of the Lord. If Paul's aim is to honor God publicly in their context, then this text is going to begin to make a little sense. So that's the context. Allow me to begin reading. 1 Corinthians 11, 2-6 I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding the traditions just as I passed them on to you. But I want you to realize that the head of every man, when I say man and woman, I want you to just translate husband and wife. Okay, man and woman, husband and wife. The head of every man is Christ. The head of every woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. That's a fascinating thing that he threw in there. Every man who prays and prophesies with his head uncovered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays and prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same thing as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for, having, for a woman to have her head, for having her hair, not head, cut off, 
That is not just a dis- that is a disgrace, I guess. <laughs> For having her head shaved, then she should ha- have her head covered. So what is going on? Why is it a dishonor? There are a lot of scholars say a lot of different things, and sometimes it gets wild what the opinions are. I'm just going to give you three major ones. Could be that a woman having her head uncovered was similar to the cults. Like there's these pagan cults that just, they let their hair go wild, they let it whip back and forth, okay? And Paul's saying, I don't want you to look like that, okay? If the Lord's going to be speaking through you, we're going to be doing this righteously, all right? It could be that it was looking promiscuous. I don't know why, but that, that's something in that culture. It could have looked promiscuous. It simply could have just been inappropriate in, in that culture. It just looked inappropriate. Whatever the reasons were, I think verse 6 shows that they would have agreed with him. Okay? He's saying, if it's the same thing as having their head shaved. I didn't do this just for the, the text, by the way. This actually is my haircut normally. Um, I wear hats. Um, if it's the same thing as having their head shaved, then you should just have your head covered. And they would have said, yeah, that's actually fair, because he didn't need to argue more. They would have agreed with him. And the other major thing is with husbands and wives. He's talking to husbands and wives, and he's talking about that particular concept of headship. It's one that our culture doesn't really like, and I want to just talk about it with humility right now. The Bible talks about headship in two spots. It talks about male headship in only two areas of life, and I want to talk about what it isn't mainly. Okay? The two areas of where it is is only the church as elders, only elders, and as husbands. And today, he's talking about husbands. And what headship is not... It's not anything about superiority or inferiority. It has nothing to do with I, what the man says goes and what the woman says gets overrode. It has nothing to do with even competency. In fact, I would argue, and I think most husbands would argue, that women are more competent than men in a lot of areas. What headship is is that before God, the burden of responsibility falls on the man. For spiritual leadership, the burden falls on the man. The burden of responsibility and honor. And how do I know that the above things saying, that there's no inferiority, there's no, like, like my word is law and domineering, there's no, like, the woman has to stay home. How do I know that? Because... Paul included Christ in his argument. The head of Christ is the Father. And if Christ is submitting to the the headship of the Father, then there is absolutely nothing being said about inferiority with Christ. Philippians 2 is a place to go if you want to think clearly about what it truly means within the Trinity. It is through Christ's submission that he is fully glorified. That's the argument. Christ submits to the Father and is glorified above every name on heaven and earth. That is the argument. And this is what Paul is arguing for man and woman. The divine anthropology of humanity is reflected within the Trinity itself. 
That is the problem that Paul is speaking towards the culture. And here is his arguments and his reasons going forward. Verse 7 through 12. A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. We're going to come back to those prepositions in a little bit. It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head, because of the angels. That phrase. I have been bashing my head over that phrase. Nevertheless, in the Lord is not in the Lord woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman, but everything comes from God. He ends with saying, whatever you think about roles, whatever you think about hierarchy, there is still this interdependency between each other. They need each other, especially in the Lord. But going back to this idea of creation, I don't know what you thought when you heard from and for man, but I know what Paul thought. When he hears gender, he thinks Genesis. Gender, Genesis, gender, Genesis. It's like a link. kind of rhymes, you know, maybe a slant rhyme. Gender and Genesis go hand in hand. Anthropology is rooted in creation. Genesis 1.27 says this. This is exactly where his mind went. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, both of them. Male and female, he created them, both representing the picture and glory of God together. There was, both of them somehow made the image of God complete on earth. And this idea of glory, Paul talks about glory coming together. That man is the image and glory of God and woman is the glory of man. And I just want to ask right now, rhetorically I guess, like what is glory? It's a phrase we use a lot in church. I don't really think we use glory anywhere else that I can think of. What is glory? Like we don't really have a context for it. The ancient word for glory is kavod. And it had... Light. It had a connotation of light. It had a connotation of radiance. It had a connotation of significance. And here's the fun one. Of weight. Weight. Had weightiness to it. I don't know what that tells you. Here's what it tells me. It says, don't let anyone look down on you for your weight. My big guys, my big girls, you are glorious! Amen! Amen! The Bible tells you so! You can quote that! That's what I told myself when I was in Bible college, at least. I don't even think I'm kidding. When you see glory, when you hear this idea of glory, in this text especially, You have seen and felt the significance of what is being talked about. 
This is why at the table, this is why at the church we speak of the glory of God. We want you to see it. We want you to feel the weight of what is going on more than just words on a page. And this is what Paul wants you to see. He wants you to see the significance of being a man and a woman in God's image. Anthropology, what it means to be a man and a woman, affects your very worship of God. It's significant. He roots it in creation, in your purpose. It's glorious. Moving forward, his final argument comes from culture. And I'm going to go quickly on this because I think it's rather simple. Verses 13 through 16 says this, Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? But that if a woman has wait, I got that word said. But that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. There's that glory again. But for long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. He uses this phrase, the very nature of things, and I believe the argument there comes solely from culture. The very nature of things, he is talking to Corinthians in a context where they would say, this is the very nature of things. Like, you can look around, I'm not going to point anyone out, and say, there's guys in here with long hair, and there's girls in here with short hair. It's not the very nature of things. There's nothing necessarily rooted in in masculinity and femininity. Like, you can just kind of grow it out. It's not unnatural. And I think that's not the point that he was making. I think it's solely in culture, and they would have said, okay, like, if that is what it is in our day, then maybe we should follow this because we're trying to honor God within our context. Conclusion, worship God as honorably as possible within the culture. That is our text for today. So what do we do with this? What is the principle of the text? If we read it literally, with no context, culture, genre, paying no attention to any of the things that we normally talk about here, then sure, I would say to you, and I would say unashamedly, y'all better be wearing veils to church. Y'all better, at least ladies, you better be wearing hats the next day, and guys, you better be taking those hats off, and I'll never wear a hat again. But I don't believe that's the case. And I don't think that's what Paul would literally, I don't think that's what Paul would say to us. In our culture, if we did that, we, would, we might actually be going against the very principle of what this text is arguing. And I believe that this text is arguing that we should worship God as honorably as possible within our culture and through God's design. There's two parts. You saw the culture and you saw the design from creation. And if we didn't, if we showed up the next day at church wearing veils, we would look like a bunch of psychos. You know? You know. Paul believes. So the first one, culture, is out the window. The veil's out the window. We can put that to bed. I can put that to bed. But through God's design is rooted in Genesis, and I believe there is much to be said about that. 
Paul believes that Genesis 1 provides him with the answer for how to live and glorify God. And I want to give you a quote from an early church father that says this. Coming soon to theaters near you. Maybe not. I'll just read it on the something here. Oh, hey. Well, there it is. I'll still read it on here. It says this. The glory of God is a human being fully alive. Reflect on that. The glory of God is a human being, is you, fully alive. If God has a design for you, then living according to that design is to be fully alive. My question that we're going to take a break after is what is God's design? Let's take a break. Really should go to Albuquerque. All right. The question that we're asking in the second half is what is God's design? And what is God's design for you? As men and as women, as you can see in Genesis 1, that is the original plan that he created us as men and women, and that was part of the image of God. And, and as we can ask, I'm just going to ask some questions as, as we go through it. Like, like, why not just make us asexual? You know? Like, kind of weird. I'm just going to ask it. Like, why not just asexual? Like, why all the thing about, like, hormones and stuff that we go through? Like, like, why puberty? You know, let's just say, like, why? Like, why do we all have to go through this? Why is it only through that, that through men and women, that together we reflect the image of God? 1 Corinthians eleven seven through 12 says that He wants to be worshipped as men and women distinctly, that together we reflect the image of God and we worship Him together. Paul, when asking this question, went back to Genesis, and so let's do the same. In the beginning, creation was completed when male and female both existed. So the creation account was happening, it was like heaven and earth and, and land and water and, and uh, sun and moon and, and plants and whatever the opposite of plants is. It's all there. And then on the sixth day, plants and non-plants, I don't know. Animals, sure. There you go. On the sixth day, at the pinnacle of creation, he creates man and woman and he says, very good. Creation ends with a marriage. And he gives everything to them as a wedding gift. He says, it's yours. Rule and reign over it. Creation ends, begins with a marriage, and everything ends with a marriage. I don't know if you know that. Revelation 21.2 says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully, dressed for her husband. Creation ends with a marriage. 
And this concept is so profound, man and woman, distinctness and unity together, that Paul says in Ephesians, once again, quoting Genesis, that only in marriage, man and woman together, can we reflect God's plan. And he says that only there, God's plan reflected, is Christ and His church reflected. Let me read it for you. Ephesians 5. It says, This is a profound mystery when I'm talking about Christ and His church. It's at the beginning and it's at the end. Man and woman, distinctness and unity. And finally, God Himself represents both of the sexes. The Trinity is equal yet distinct. Different persons living in a relationship full of love and submission towards one another for eternity. That is what Paul is making a big deal about in 1 Corinthians 11.6. And that is what our worship, is, our worship must reflect. God does not make mistakes when He made man and woman. And God does not make mistakes when He makes you. Glorify God by living out your design. This is very important to God, but it's very hard for us because as we have seen in life, time after time, we see broken images of the image of God. Broken images of the image of God that are pushed towards one of two extremes. And I'm drawing this from Matt Chandler's beautiful design. For men, broken masculinity tends to look like one of two things. We see selfish passivity, and we see selfish aggression. Selfish passivity looks like fear. It looks like the the unwillingness to take hold of your life. It's letting go of the steering wheel and just letting life go by. I'm not going to lean in. I'm not going to buy in. I'm just going to let life do what it has to do. I'm not going to take responsibility for my own life. It's the exact same thing that you saw Adam in the garden. He was there with his wife while she ate the fruit and sin entered into the world. Selfish passivity. And fear has been reigning over the hearts of the sons of Adam ever since. He hid from God. And I wonder if we do the same. Broken masculinity. The other side is selfish aggression. As you can see, God called the leadership. But... The very thing, the very people that we are called to protect, to serve, to empower, become objects of pleasure, become objects of our own gain. We reach out and take things that were not that were not destined to be ours for our own personal gain. It's acts of aggression, just like reaching out and taking fruit that was not destined to be ours. Going back to the garden. Broken masculinity. is characterized by selfishness rather than sacrifice. And for women, broken femininity is characterized by two things. On one side, you see the desire for comparison. and the other, you see the desire for perfection. Comparison is the looking around at all times, wondering if 
Everyone else has the standards in their mind by which you have to live up to. It is said in the beautiful design that women live for the approval of other women. I think we all do this to some degree, but the, the articles that he was citing come from the secular, um, the secular research. I'm going to let you go look that up on your own terms. Comparison. The other side is perfection. This idea of a standard within yourself that you yourself have set, but yet you cannot grasp. That you have gotten outside of your own bounds of perfection, and yet all that's left is anxiety and depression. Broken femininity is characterized by vanity, comparison, and perfection, rather than grace. Our culture struggles with these because we see brokenness all the time. Everywhere we turn, we see brokenness. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm just going to place my cards on the table. I struggle with this too. I did not want to preach this text for two reasons. One, because it's weird. Can I just be honest? It's weird. It talks about veils. It talks about because of the angels. It just says that and lets it be. It's weird. <laughs> you know? And the second reason is, I knew the implications. I knew where Paul was going. How he roots his argument in creation. His argument for men and women to live out their design. And it's not my story. My story is actually the opposite. See, I come from a family that I'm just going to describe as hyper-masculine. My father, my grandfather, my brother, my uncle, they were all the, just the man's men, okay? They were good at sports, and not just good at sports, they wanted to watch sports all day long, you know, just have that pro games on all day. They were handymen, they've literally built their houses, and these things can do nothing, you know, don't ask. <laughs> they were outdoorsy. They were gun nuts. They, they were just manly, manly men. And then there's Alec, who wanted to play Pokemon. <laughs> See, ever since I was young, I had the picture of masculinity put before me maybe even unintentionally, that I couldn't live up to. And I think you guys can understand, in some degree, what this is like. For me, it's been in co coaches have done this, family has done this, college has done this, dating has done this. Out of place with what culture has says about who we are supposed to be, always feeling wrong. And when you don't feel like you make the mark, you have one of two options, at least I did. You fake it till you make it, and you never really make it, or you run the opposite way. You keep faking, or you just run away and give up on the concepts altogether because it must be fake if all I see is brokenness. Can I give you a third idea? 
can we tonight stop listening to what the world, to what culture says about who we are supposed to be as men and women? And can we start listening to your maker who wants you to be fully alive in him? What do men and women look like who are fully alive? I'm just going to put it simply. They look like God. They look like God. I can't define it any differently. I can't tell you that they go to the gym. I can't tell you that they're skinny. I can't tell you that they can build houses or that they're clever or that they're witty that they're powerful. I can tell you, though, that they, they, the design looks like the designer. The image looks like the image himself. The one he was, the mirror looks like the one it's reflecting. What do men and women look like who are fully alive in God? Men worship God when they look like God the Father, the protector, the keeper, the one who leads with sacrificial love. Ephesians 5, I've already mentioned this, I'll mention it again. In Christ, there is no such thing as leadership without sacrifice. Don't talk to me about headship Don't talk to me about leadership if you are not sacrificing. God Himself sacrifices. You've seen that in the Trinity. In Christ, there is no such thing as leadership without sacrifice. So men, glorify God by living out your design. Sacrificial leadership. Women. Women worship God when they look like God, the life giver, the sustainer, the nurturer, the one who loves with unconditional, covenantal love. Ladies, may I read a passage to you that actually has been very special to me over the past weeks when I heard it? It's Isaiah 49, 15. And I know some of us come from broken families And I think if this, if you can remember this passage and remember that this is God speaking to you, even in the brokenness, that it can be special. Isaiah 49.15 says this, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. Though mothers may become monsters, I, the Lord God, will never forget you. Glorify God by living out the glory of your design in unconditional love. The only human to ever walk this earth and be fully alive was Jesus Christ. 
because he walks fully in the will of the Father. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. I want you to hear this. Only through Christ will you be fully alive. That is how you were designed. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for the chance to speak your words tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to speak a passage that hits us strangely. God, we are a culture that doesn't agree that we have different opinions on this, God. And I just, I thank you. I thank you that your word still speaks. God, I ask that you would speak to us always. Convict, affirm where necessary. But God, show us your character. And through that, show us who we are supposed to be as men and women. And God, always show us Jesus Christ. And through Jesus, change us into that new creation. I love you, Lord. I pray that tonight has glorified you. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.